we've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer. Tap into your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And we've been around the world talking to creative practitioners of all kinds about their inspirations and their organization and the connections to get their work up and out into the world. And I'm so happy today to be talking about music and TV and film with composer Craig Dobbin. Craig, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mark. It really is great to be here. And Craig's work, if you know this sound. And this is a theme you've heard for, well, over a decade now. And as the show winds down, we're going to talk to Craig about his next moves and some of his other projects. But to Craig, I can't help but ask, as this franchise, this anchor of CBS programming has really established itself over the years, what is your creative process to keep that music engine and that score behind the show revving and up and running? <laughs> That's great. It's... It... I came aboard NCIS on season eight. So I've been with it for half of its run. And it was already a well-oiled machine when I came aboard. And so it felt, I often described it as I felt like I was jumping onto a treadmill going hundred miles an hour. And I just had to <laughs> run as fast as I could to try to catch up and get myself up to speed. But so it really is a weekly schedule. So I see the shows on a Friday and I make my own individual notes about it. And then we do what's called a spotting session on Monday, which I watch the show with the uh, sound effects people and the music editors and the director and the right, and usually not the director, but sometimes mostly the showrunner and the producers. And we talk about where there's going to be music and where there shouldn't be music. And then I make my list of what I have to do that week. And then I just get busy and start creating. And I work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then we mix the show on Sunday. And by Monday, I'm off to spot the next show. So it's, and we'll do two or three like that. And then we'll have a week or two off and then two or three like that. And then a week or two off. What else? What else? I mean, I don't know. It looks like an episode of Hoarders in here, baby. I can't disarm this bomb. Play God in the lives of those you say you love. No. No. Hey. Guys, her Overwatch marker hasn't flashed again, so I'm looking at buildings downtown with a helipad. We're nine minutes out, you gotta narrow it down. Guys, Bomb Squad is still six minutes out. That's not good enough. 
Tell Rogers, if we don't get a final destination, Eddie is going to be dead. Kenzie, we got four minutes. Please stop. I need to tell you something. Baby, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't breathe. What? I wake up and I and the world is narrow and claustrophobic and I feel like my my chest is caving in and I feel like I'm gonna die. What? What? But then I look at you. Granted, you're usually drooling on yourself and snoring like a chubby dachshund. But just knowing that you're there and that somehow in all of this madness that you chose me, it makes my whole body relax. And I have this thing that I can only describe as peace. Baby, I look at you and I see us. and I can fall back asleep. This can't be the end. It's okay. Hey. Look at me. You're the best thing that ever happened to me and I love you. Obviously, it's driven by the individual show and the scenes, but, and forgive me if I'm not using the right terminology, but I think about what is the brief, the brand that makes it an NCIS LA score? Yeah, that somebody listens to this and says, this is what the brand is about. Yeah. So NCIS LA, as distinct from the flagship NCIS and NCIS Hawaii, it's been interesting. I've gotten more feedback from other people of, oh, NCIS LA is this one or this one. And really how it's delineated, at least from what I've gotten back from people in terms of the musical style, is it's more modern. It's got more humor injected into it. It used to be, while they still had big budgets, the more action-driven one, which has waned over the years as the budgets for the episodes got smaller and smaller. But that so musically, it's just got a little more drive, a little more modern energy to it um because that's la it's right. just slightly more hip it's got it and plus it's got i think the thing that makes it unique is the way we approach the humorous scenes which is a very kind of more band rock approach to doing a banter or a humor scene than you would in a traditional kind of pizzicato strings orchestral oh this is supposed to be funny moment yes it does have some rock and roll drive doesn't it definitely and I'm thinking, and you may have seen a little clip I posted a couple of weeks ago, I talked to another sonic brander and composer, Gina Isham, and she just thought, how do you keep it fresh? And so I, I thought I would definitely bring this up to you. Like you said, half of the run of the show, six, eight years into this thing, how do you keep it fresh every week? Not only for the show, but for yourself. So... When I first came on the show, I had to educate myself on the musical world because I was coming into a pre-existing sonic world. Now, for me, creativity is the most fun when there's lots of parameters and boundaries. That gives me, it's like when you can set those limits for yourself. And so you've got this established sonic world. How can I express myself? within these confines of, okay, these instruments, this palette. If you give a painter, here's your palette. And then they go, oh, I've never used these before. How am I going to paint with these? 
And so in the beginning, it was easy because it was me finding my way through it and writing in the style of the show. So I had to learn and actually take on like a different mindset and then write within those parameters. And as the show went on, I injected more of my voice into the show. Now, the interesting thing about being in a long running show like this is you have to do it really slowly. So it's not a shock to the system of either the viewers or the production team. And I got educated a couple of times when I went too far. It wasn't really, it was interesting because French horns weren't an established voice during the show. And to me, heroism and French horns naturally go together. And so there was a big heroic moment and I'd made a big French horn cue and it freaked everybody out because they weren't <laughs> used to hearing that. And I got a call from the dubbing stage. Can you split those French horns out? We think we're going to take them out. And I'm like, oh, I've got to educate them on French horns. So I just started dabbling little bits of French horns in along the way. And by the ending of the final episode, I've been able to go full on French horn heroic and it has at least primed the audience and the team of that is a voice we can use in the show. Yes. Well, the theme that comes up a lot on our show here is collaboration, a team, a company. And you're bringing this up right now that not only the feedback part, but the creativity part really involves a lot of teamwork, doesn't it? It really does. And when you're writing music for a show, as I like to say, I'm clear that I'm in the service industry. Because in many ways, I am fulfilling or a part of fulfilling someone else's vision. You know, it's like the producers and the writers have a vision for what they're trying to convey. So I have to be really good at getting into their minds, into their view of the show, so that I can effectively create that in the final product, which is very distinct from like when I write my own music or work with my band, which is we don't have, we get to do our own vision. But for this, it's like, and Truthfully, I love the challenge of being able to see something from someone else's perspective and go, oh, I see how you want this scene to land. I see the emotion you're trying to convey. And then finding that voice that they will then accept is, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly that, what that moment needed. I think that's a concept worth underscoring, this idea that we're in service to the producers, to the writers, to the show, actually, to the franchise, that you want to put your fingerprint on it but you're still delivering for the show. Completely, completely. And if you want a career in this, you've got to get really good at delivering someone else's vision because if you try to inject yourself way too much, they'll be like, okay, good job, but we're not going to hire you again because this was a hassle. Yes. So it really is being that team player, being willing to hear feedback, to hear what they want and be able to quickly implement it in a way that really fulfills their vision. And you're also not only collaborating on the music part, but you're surrounded by a lot of star power <laughs> on the show with the actors like Chris O'Donnell and LL Cool J, Linda Hunt, which I don't know if you can give me any spoiler alerts. It's Eddie coming back for any kind of I would love <laughs> to talk about that, but oh my gosh, I would get killed. I know, I can only imagine. <laughs> but what's it like being part of that kind of company and collaboration? It's first of all, just in working on it and seeing such great actors up on the screen in my studio. It's And the interesting thing was I didn't meet a lot of the actors on the show 
until about two months ago. <laughs> this is where finished is they wrapped and I went to the wrap party and all the actors were there because they re it, it's interesting on a show that size that there's the departments are quite separate from one another. So there's the production crew and the pre-production crew and the writers. And then we have a little team in the post-production world, but it's not mostly the actors because they're really done with their part. However, both Kenzie and Deke, so Eric and Daniela mm -hmm. from the show, have directed and or written episodes. So I've gotten to work with them directly as they would come on to the spotting sessions or want certain things in terms of the music. But the rest of the cast, I met for the first time March 1st at the Valley <laughs> Rap Party. That's fantastic. When we were talking about the other shows in the series, the franchise, what was it like when these crossovers, you had to have a little bit of a taste of each show as these episodes were developing? How did you collaborate across the different shows? That was a that was a really interesting process because it's when they give me a show, they don't really tell me anything. It just shows up on a hard drive on Friday and I download it and watch it. And when the crossover happened, I didn't even know a crossover was happening. So I downloaded the show and I watched it. And I'm like, why am I in the middle of something? Did I miss some episode? Are they doing this out of sequence? I didn't understand. And then finally I'm like, Oh, that's, he's from NCIS. Oh, she's from Hawaii. Oh, oh, okay. We're doing something. So then I call and I find out that we're the end of a three-part crossover. So we're doing the conclusion. Now, interestingly enough, we were also the first one to complete. Mm -hmm. So they had oh, to think that's interesting. us yes. and not the other way around because they hadn't even started by the time we were finishing. I love that behind the scenes development piece. Yeah, yeah, very cool. You know, we've been talking so much about NCIS, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the other work is that we'll talk about to film advertising in addition. But just on TV, Shark Week, you touched on a minute ago, you've got a couple of great PBS kids shows, some documentaries. This gives you a chance to really flex your creative muscle, I presume. Completely. If you want to talk about like keeping things fresh, which was I've been doing music for Shark Week for 33 years. So <laughs> it's, it's if you want to finding different ways to approach sharks and how to do the music. And I can't tell you how many people ask me. It's, oh, you do Shark Week? Da, 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 da. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not going to get sued. So I find a different way. To I, I'm not using that exact cello. <laughs> <laughs> but it, and I was just before this call, I was talking to the editor on this year's, the Shark Week episodes I'm doing. I've been doing, my friend Jeff, who I've been working with on Shark Week for the entire 33 years, he was a local news producer in Ventura. I was just starting out and this company matched us together and he's now become Mr. Shark Week. And I've been working with him for that long of a time and which has been incredible to have that length of a collaboration with someone. And it's when you work so long creatively with someone, you he doesn't really need to say anything to me. He knows <laughs> what I do. I know what he wants. And it's like, literally, he'll go, here's a show. You, you got any questions? I'll be like, no, nah, I know what to do. He's like, I'll be All back right. to you. 
See you on the dub. <laughs> uh, it's like any relationship. You start filling in the other's sentences. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's a really, it's a real, I just watched the episode this morning for the first time or one of the episodes. I'm doing six this year and uh, really well done episode. I laughed, I cheered. And so that's always my gauge. I always try to watch something that I'm working on once as a fan before I start listening to the music and trying to figure out how I'm going to approach it. Now that's difficult because my mind instantly wants to go to, oh, how am I going to do that or listen to that and go just back up and try to get just an overall view of the show, like the feelings, the emotions, the moments that I cheer, the moments I laugh so that I can then when I have to go in for the minutia of the project, I'm not missing the larger picture. Well, we've been talking about TV brand franchises, but you've also had a chance to compose and have your work featured in commercials. And I'm looking at this client list, Samsung, <laughs> Visa, McDonald's, Netflix, Marvel, Exxon, State Farm, and so forth. That's a whole different, you talk about being in service to the client. That must be a whole different creative approach for you. Um, it's, I tell people it's so different from working on a TV show. When you're on a TV show, you're hired. When you're working on a commercial, you're always auditioning almost mm -hmm. up to the very end because there's people competing. It basically goes out to 20, 30 composers. Everyone does versions and then they'll whittle that down to 10 and whittle it to five and whittle it to two. And you're keeping doing revisions on NCIS this last season there were maybe two or three total revisions we had to do the whole season. Whereas on any given commercials, it's up to 30 or 35 revisions that will have to be done on a commercial. So yeah, it, if it is if you're lucky, <laughs> if you're lucky, yeah. exactly. I love that. And the sonic branding of it, I think about McDonald's and State Farm in particular, but the others too, but you're working within a sonic franchise still. There is a State Farm sound, just like there's an NCIS LA sound, right? How do you try to fit what you're doing into that established tone? Well, so they will often in their brief, they'll say what they're looking for. And it's interesting. A lot of the commercials I've done, I mean, at least with McDonald and State Farm, it's mostly the mnemonic. As long as I incorporate their little da 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 or the State Farm little mnemonic, yes. it's good. And it. Because that it's the melody with those specific ones that trigger it. And then I notice that companies tend to, because I've done several McDonald's commercials in different, I don't know, sonic eras where they'll change like what they're looking for inside in their sound. It's like Burger King in particular had this with the big king with the hat on, with sure, the big sure. face and stuff. They had a really Wes Anderson-y vibe in their kind of way they were approaching commercials. It was very surreal and bizarre. And they were looking for that similar thing in the music. And it'll change. So sometimes my flavor or what it is that I provide matches what they're looking for. And then I'll do a whole bunch of work. And then sometimes it doesn't because they're on to something else. If they need a hip hop score or they're doing something like that, I'm not the guy for that. I'll find someone who can give that to them. Yeah. But some of that sonic branding foundation, I think about State Farm, the legend being that it goes back to Barry Manilow. This is an impact that you could have for decades. That's right. That's right. He wrote that that like a good neighbor, State Farm is their melody, which is still at least that at least part of it. Yes. It's like that little that is kind of their little thing that they do. Yes, indeed. All oh, right, it's a good part. Hey, Dave. I got it. I got it. 
What? We got a meeting at noon. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Don't worry, Rob. You're covered. Okay, sorry. Where was I? State Farm agents are there whenever you need them. Fantastic. Craig, what a great conversation about your work and career up until now. I'd love to turn the page and talk about what's next for you. As anything, NCIS LA will come to a close. Sorry you can't tell us what the final show looks like. <laughs> but let's talk about what's over the horizon for you. What are you working on next? So I again, I'm right into Shark Week, which is not new, but I'm really right. excited at what's what coming up after that. So a friend of mine is writing and directing her first feature film. It's a psychological thriller called The Tasting that's set in the high-end world of wine and sommeliers. I've been telling people it's like sideways meets saw. It's a <laughs> but a really well-done script. And she's starting to shoot. She'll probably have cameras rolling June, July. And which means I'll probably be working on it August, September. Now, the great thing about this is it's given the subject matter of wine and where it is, we're actually going to use a real orchestra and I'll have a 30, 40 piece string section that I'll get to work with and record in the final score. Because it will be a lot of classically driven kind of pieces, mm -hmm. which is such a great creative Oasis from NCIS, which was a completely different sonic palette. I'm mm -hmm. really excited to explore that world and create music for my friend's film. Again, it's like I, I notice I'm working with people that I've worked with for a very long time. So I really do enjoy these long-term collaborations. Yes. With that kind of elevator pitch, sideways meets saw, what can we expect? What what's What's going through your mind? First of all, you, I do see you're going more uh, symphonic, maybe more orchestral, but uh, what's the horror part? What's the scary part? It's, it's a story of revenge. It's the story of someone who has, let me see if I don't want to get into spoiler territory of this. I don't want to get my my friend angry at me. Yeah, that's but, okay. So it's a story of revenge of a, and of a young man who's been failed as a master sommelier. And once you've been failed enough times, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of your training. Now, to make matters worse, he's in an Asian family, so he's brought shame on his family by failing, so they disowned him. So he's decided to exact revenge on the master sommeliers that failed him. So he lures them to a tasting, and then stuff ensues, let's just say from there. <laughs> so a lot of it takes place in a wine cellar inside. So the music for me needs to feel very claustrophobic. Although I'll be using strings, I'll want them close mic. So you it does you don't get the sound of a big room because, you know, symphony orchestras can be very expansive. But if you do it more like the psycho orchestra, which was eight strings or 16 strings, close mic, you get more of that claustrophobic sound where you can actually hear the bows hitting the strings and get that kind of tension from that kind of more small closed in because it really does need to feel claustrophobic since most of it takes place in a wine cellar. Yes. I appreciate this sort of inside distinction between, like you said, it's the symphony hall versus, you know, in the cellar. Yeah, yeah. exactly. E even the kind of small quartet has a whole different sound it does. You yeah. can make it more. And strings are the creative potential of string instruments, what they can do. It's like, I'm going to bring some string players up here and say, what are some weird sounds you can make with your violin? And we'll just start exploring those so that I can incorporate some of those textures. Sounds and techniques and collaboration with people so inspires me. Like you get a great player and then you start asking them, like, what's something that you've never done on strings that you've always wanted to do? What's something that you think would be a cool sound 
that the violin can make that you've never been asked to do before. And then start exploring some of those sounds and get them involved. Because when people feel involved in a creative endeavor, they really do put give you their best work. When they when they feel constrained, if you're like, no, do it this way, no, do it that way, they just all of a sudden they start freezing up and they start losing confidence in themselves because you're telling them they're doing it wrong all the time. So they stop offering things. So my thing in collaboration is always to try to create an environment where people feel free to offer up stuff and acknowledged and appreciation appreciated for those offerings because then they'll do more of it. And I really think you get the best out of players that way. Uh, it's helpful insight for any kind of creative. Mm -hmm. well, and I wanted to ask you about another aspect of music in TV and film, and that's licensing. I've had many guests who've been talking about from a singer songwriter, for example, who've talked about other avenues to get work out, not just music streaming on Spotify or putting an album out like we used to. What is the state of the state in music licensing in the shows these days? It's it's definitely a big business and it's definitely something you can make money at if you can get your music out there. There's a, pretty much all the major labels have their licensing wing and all they do is pitch to shows and, okay, here's our catalog. You want to use this, you want to use this at various price levels. Because, you know, the thing, like if you want a really popular song, like they have in NCIS, they even tried to license Mama, Mama Gonna Knock You Out, Ella Cool J song, and they couldn't get it. It was too expensive, even though he was in the show. <laughs> and you... You can make a lot of money. You've just got to get your music to music supervisors and people that can pitch it to shows and make it be known that music's available to license. Just an interesting story about NCIS and music licensing is, so this is what I can tell you about the finale. So they licensed a song for the finale, for the very end of the show, well-known song, and they got it in the, it's the last thing you hear as you go out. After the final episode of NCIS, Entertainment Tonight's doing a retrospective where they're talking about the show and doing interviews with the cast and like all that. And they wanted to show the final scene. When they licensed the track, they had licensed it for the show, but not for not for other uses. So they couldn't use it for this thing. So literally after I was done, I had had people up here. We had wrapped. I thought I was done. Uh, I get a call. It's, hey, Craig, we can't use the song. Can you write something for that last scene so that we can give it to entertainment tonight? And the song is well known. I don't think it would be bad to say the song. It's Hold On, I'm Coming by uh, Sam and Dave. And uh, and I'm like, I'm not going to try to do something with saxes and guitars and that classic R&B. It's just it would just sound like a poor imitation anyway. But what is it about that final scene that song works? There's a nostalgia. You know the song. You feel it. You recognize it. There's an ending of something that reflects back to an earlier time. And I'm like, all right, so that's what I'm going to capture. So I decided to do a completely new permutation and arrangement of the main title theme. So I took, see, the main title theme is not very easy to use anywhere. It's that, it, that, it just doesn't translate very well. And so I'm like, all right, because that will have that nostalgia. They'll recognize the theme, but in a new context. So I did full on heroic orchestral 
epic version of the main title theme to end at least my version of the show, which they'll show on uh, Entertainment Tonight. That's fantastic. I love these sort of insider stories. And I know the <laughs> listeners do too. Craig, what a fantastic conversation. I'll have all your contact information in the show notes because I know people are going to want to go back and watch some of these YouTube clips and see some of your other score and then follow and keep track of this new film that you'll be working on, The Tasting. So thanks for all your insight. As we close, I'd love to have you share a word of, I'd say, inspiration, but at least encouragement to up-and-coming creatives who say, I, I got to get unstuck, or if I could just make the right connection. So you've been talking about music supervisors, you've talked about how to work with advertisers, but what could we say to creatives who just are so inspired by their work, but need that extra something to get their work out? I'm a firm believer. So one of the things that you should know about me is I've never had an agent. I've never had a manager. And I know that often young creatives like, oh, I need the right agent or the right manager to get me in the right doors. I don't think so. I really believe if you really are committed to what you're doing and you just talk about it to everyone, the opportunity will present itself. I was watching some video today and I, some guy said something and it just, I think it really applies. They said, what if I told you you were only 12 no's from a billion dollar business? And it's like, how quickly would you go get that first no? Because mostly, especially with creatives, we're putting our heart out. We're risking something when we put our creativity in the world. And if you're not experienced with it, when they, when someone doesn't like something you do, it can be very hard on a creative person because we really do expose ourselves in order to keep ourselves open to that creativity. And that's a skill that you learn. So just go out, share your things. It's not bad, your creativity. It just wasn't right for that thing. So just keep going. Don't stop because I truly believe if you stick with it, there really is opportunities and work enough for everyone. Thanks so much for sharing that. Listeners, that could be the best one minute and 10 seconds of encouragement and inspiration you'll hear all day. Craig, and Craig knows what he's talking about. I'm sure you've had your share of no's. Completely. Yeah. And maybe every week when those guys tell you that is not going to work. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, fantastic. My guest has been Craig Dobbin. He's composer of all the music for NCIS LA, but also a couple of great popular PBS shows and uh, Shark Week we've talked about and a new film that'll be coming out very soon, I'm sure, The Tasting. He'll be working on that the latter part of the year. Listeners, come back again next time. We'll continue these round-the-world travels. We've stamped our creative passport in Santa Barbara, California today, but we'll be continuing our creative journeys to talk to creative practitioners everywhere, how they get inspired, how they organize ideas, and how they gain the confidence and the connections to get their work out into the world. Until next time, I'm Mark Stenson, and we're unlocking your world of creativity. We'll see you soon. Unlocking Your World of Creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliQ Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and ThePeaceRoom.Love. Our podcast is supported by Adobe and the Adobe Creative Cloud the world's best creative app and services, so you can make almost anything you can imagine wherever you're inspired.
We use Adobe to help make this podcast using Audition, InDesign, and more. So join the creative community with the Adobe Creative Cloud, and let's make something better, unlocking your world of creativity.